If you want to turn your Bibles to Numbers, that's where we'll be this morning. I believe we're in 9, no, 9 and 10. We'll be uh, caroling this week. Uh, the schedules are out there on the table if you want to grab one. Uh, let you know where we're going to be. And of course, you don't have to be there for all of them. If you have to, you know, get off work till five or something, and you want to meet up with us, it'll at least let you know where we are. Um, we we're usually on time. So um, if you don't see us at the place we're supposed to be, maybe give us a call. Or and Jenny's phone number is at the bottom of the page there, so she'll have her phone with us uh, for the Tuesday and the and the Saturday that we're going to be singing it. Friday and Saturday didn't work, so we're going to do Tuesday. And Saturday, that was the best time for them and for us. So um, anyway, those schedules are out there on the back. And uh, Christmas Eve service, we will be having a Christmas Eve candlelight service. I think you all know that, but um, I can't remember the time I said. I say 7.30? 7.30. 7.30. What's that? No, I don't be, yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, Yeah, what do I do? Chapter nine, numbers. Uh, I was, you know, as I was studying, I read some commentaries um, just to make sure I'm on the right track. Anyway, and I'm not a complete, complete heretic. Um, so I check uh, what I'm about to teach, and I noticed Pastor Chuck, when he taught numbers, he did chapters one through ten the first Sunday. One through ten, he did ten chapters, and a Sunday I'm like, okay, maybe I need to speed this up a little bit. Even though we're going to do two chapters today, um, I don't feel so bad about. You know, cutting some of this stuff out a little bit. Um, there's a little bit of rep- repetition today, and um, you can read that on your own, and I'll let you know where that, where that is when we want to hit the, the high points here. Um, it's all high points. It's all God's Word. Don't get me wrong, but some of it um, gets a little tedious. Um, verse 1, Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Let the children of Israel keep the Passover at its appointed time. Uh, On the 14th day of this month, at twilight, you shall keep it at its appointed time, according to all its rites and ceremonies, you shall keep it. So Moses told the children of Israel that they should keep the Passover. And they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the first month, at twilight, in the wilderness of Sinai, according to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did. Now we know that every one of the Passover, every one of the feasts, or any kind of celebration they had uh, was all speaking of Christ. But this one especially, obviously, this is a celebration of when they would uh, be released from Egypt um, and the whole deal with the tenth plague, where the angel of death was going to move through and kill the firstborn um, of everybody in Egypt unless they let the children of Israel go. And of course, they didn't. Pharaoh hardened his heart, um, and uh, anybody that did the prescription that God had prescribed. Um, it was his idea. Uh, anybody that was uh, obedient to that uh, was kept safe. And that was the whole point. And God says, I don't want you to ever, ever, ever forget that. I want you to keep this. Every single year, I want you to celebrate this time. I don't want you to forget what I've done for you. Um, and of course, that speaks of Christ as the, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And we'll read a little bit more about that in John chapter 19. But um, that's what this Christmas season is all about. It's the celebration of the birth of not just a baby, not just a great guy that we can imitate and follow and maybe you know, take some pointers from, um, but the Savior of the world. Um, he came to die on the cross for my sins. Whether I ever understood why he lived or how he lived, whether it was ever documented or not, he came 
for a specific reason to satisfy the wrath of his father. I think we forget that sometimes. He came to satisfy the wrath of his father. Our God is just, perfectly just. He can't just say it's okay to sin. He doesn't let things go. He doesn't let anything go. There is grace and mercy, but never mistake that for just letting things go. Nobody would call that just if you walked into a courtroom and the guy had murdered your family and he said, you know, we're just going to let it go today. We would be up in arms because justice hadn't been served. Now, God is his own counsel. Uh, it's his, he's his own audience. So when something is done, like David proclaimed, when someone sins, David said, I've sinned against you and you alone have I sinned against God. That's his, that was the point when it came to Bathsheba. Um, I've sinned against you. All sins are against God, and he has justice. He must. If he's going to be perfect, if he's going to be holy, if he's going to be everything that he is, he has to sentence. Someone's going to jail, basically. Someone's going to get the death penalty, and that's why Christ was born. So when we celebrate this Christmas, remember, it's Easter. (laughs) It's Easter that we're focused on. Uh, Christ comes. He's born, of course, and lives, but he also dies on the cross. This Passover represents that so that you don't die. You hide behind the blood of Jesus Christ. You place yourself on the other side of that door. As the children of Israel took the lamb that was the sacrifice for uh, atonement, they would take the blood and put it on the doorposts of their homes, and they would stay inside, and it didn't matter who was on the other side of that door. And that's probably the second most important point today. It doesn't matter who's on the other side of that door. They are protected by the blood of Jesus Christ. It didn't matter what the sins were. It didn't matter. He took all the sins. He paid all the price for everybody's sins. Um, And anybody that obeyed that and, and did what God had asked him to do. And likewise, God has asked us to apply the blood of Jesus Christ to the doorposts of our hearts. And it doesn't matter who you are, who's on the other side of that blood, you are forgiven because Christ took God's wrath for you. He took the sentence that you deserved. And so God says, I don't want you to forget that. I don't want you to ever forget that. Now, sometimes I think God wants us to not forget that so that we can continue to say thank you to him. Now, don't forget to say thank you to God this Christmas. Don't forget to say thank you to God this Easter. And by all means, we should. Absolutely. I don't think he wants us to forget it for our own sake. He he doesn't need that from us. We give him praise. We give him worship. That's why we're here this morning. But he's fine and was fine before we were ever made. He wasn't wondering, going, man, I'm just kind of depressed today. I need someone to worship me. Maybe I'll make some people. That's not what he did. He loved us and was fine without us. No, the, the, the whole remembering, the whole time of communion that we had last week, the whole time we go over every Christmas or every Easter, the whole time they celebrated the Passover was for them to remember what God had done for them. Don't forget you're forgiven. Don't forget I just love to shower you with grace and mercy. Don't forget that you were guilty, but don't forget that I've absolved you of all of your sins. Don't forget that. So do this every single year so you remember. I want you to remember this. Verse 6. Now, there were certain men who were defiled by a human corpse so that they could not keep the Passover on that day. Remember the rules. You know, you touch a dead body, even if you had to bury him, you're still defiled. In other words, you're not sinning. Defilement doesn't mean sin. Don't, don't interchange those words. 
if, if your mom dies and you've got a barrier, well, someone's got to carry the body. You become defiled for a certain amount of time, and you had to offer up certain sacrifices and go outside. And That was a cleansing thing. That was just a, let's just not pass on whatever you picked up from mom to everybody else. You know, be careful. It was just a wise move um, on God's part for our sake. Um, and so these guys had something had happened. They had been defiled by a human corpse so that they could not keep the Passover. And, and they came before Moses and Aaron that day. And those men said to him, we become defiled by a human corpse. Why are we kept from presenting the offering of the Lord as, uh, at its appointed time among the children of Israel? They have a good question. Um, you say we can't, but if we don't, we break a law. You know, we got to work this stuff out. And remember, they're just starting. They're just figuring this stuff out. And Moses has an excellent answer. Because so far, he's just telling everybody, this is what God says. And so here's what we're going to do. And then they run into this situation. Okay, we got two laws, and they seem to conflict. I don't know what to do. I, I'm not supposed to keep the Passover because I touched a dead body, but it's the Passover, and if I don't, I'm in trouble. Mm, you know. I want you to pay attention to the answer. I don't have all the answers, and neither do you. God sets us up with principles. He sets us up with uh, things that oversee all the scenarios, and this is what he does. And Moses said to them, stand still, that I may hear what the Lord will command concerning you. I got to pray. I don't know. Good question, Moses is basically saying. Let me go ask the guy who made up all the rules, our God who loves us and cares for us. Let's see what he has to say about this. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel, saying, if any one of you or your posterity is unclean because of a corpse or is far away on a journey, so he starts adding, he may still keep the Lord's Passover. Yeah, go ahead. By all means, keep the Passover. The corpse thing is secondary to this. Oh, well, there's primary and secondary. There's things that we can deal with later. You know, there's more important things. Now, what we're going to see here is God, through these two chapters, is going to tell them, I want you to follow my ordinances. I want you to pay attention to my rules. And then they write it all down for us to read and to learn from so that we can do that. But then they do it. And I don't know how, many, how, how strongly I've I got to emphasize this. Do not mistake your Bible study, quiet time, readings, uh, knowledge about what God wants and what he doesn't want. Don't confuse that with obedience. That just means you know. Doing it is a whole other thing. Actually following through on it is a whole other th thing. To actually walk and live. So, oh yeah, that's great. Yep, we should always pray. I know that. But do you? When you don't have an answer, do you stop and say, I don't know the answer to that, and I'm not going to do anything until I seek the Lord, and I'm going to wait for him to speak to me. And then you stop, and you pray with your wife, your family, your coworker, whatever it may be, or the business owner, God, I don't know what to do next. I don't want to make a move that's wrong, and I don't know what's right, so would you let me know? Amen. And then you don't make a decision and do and ask God to bless whatever the next thing out of your mouth is. You actually wait for him to speak to you. Well, Bob, what are we going to do? We've got we to gotta make this payment, or we've got to do this thing. I've got to do this. I, I know, I know, but I've asked God, and we're going to wait and see what he wants us to do here. we just wait for an answer. Now, that's uncomfortable when it comes to the world, isn't it? That's okay. Let him wait, and, and God will let you wait. He doesn't automatically get... Now, sometimes he does. Sometimes it's a spur-of-the-moment thing. Remember Nehemiah, when he was brought before the king, and the king says, why are you so sad? Now, 
the implication being, you're sad in front of the king, that means you die. That's how, it rolled. That's how they went. That's what they did. Don't make me sad. I didn't hire you to be sad in front of me. You're going to die. I want some happy people in my presence. So when someone asks you like that in authority, why are you so sad? You better come up with a really good answer quick. And so he throws up a prayer. He says, you know, God help, basically. He didn't go into great detail. God help, basically. And he did. And the next thing out of his mouth was exactly what he needed to say. I'm upset because my people are dying and they're living in an unwalled city. And, and he goes on and on. And the guy says, well, yeah, well, you should go. <sighs> that went better than I thought it was going to go. I got my head. <laughs> I didn't just escape the room, but I get to actually do something about my prayer. God may do that for you. Sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes you pray like um, Zacharias for a baby and it doesn't happen to the point where you kind of forget about it. You kind of give up. Until he shows up one day and says, how would you like to have John the Baptist? He's going, to want to, he's going to make straight the way for the Messiah. That'd be good. You've been waiting a long time. How about I give you a really, really good baby, you know? <laughs> now, he's not going to dress really well, but he's a really good baby, you know? He's going to eat funny foods, but that's okay. Hey, you guys ever worry about what your kids eat? They just eat Cheetos. He won't eat anything else but Cheetos. Hey, good company, John the Baptist. Wild locusts and honey, that's all he ate. All right, back to the text, Sorry. Pray. The leader of a multi, millions of people are following this guy, and he says, I don't know what to do. That's room for impeachment. That's room for, let's find someone else. Let's do a recall vote. And, of course, they do that several times for this poor guy, for Moses. Um, they try to recall him several times, but they don't understand who put him in authority, that it was God. But he's honest. I'm just a man. I'm simply doing what God's asked me to do, and I don't know the answer to that question, but I'll sure ask him. And let's wait and find out what he wants to do. And God gives such a gracious, merciful answer. Of course you can keep the Passover. I'd, I'd prefer it. If there's anything I want you to remember, yeah, don't touch dead bodies and then touch everybody else in the camp. Make sure you don't do that. I mean, you know, common sense, please. But don't, don't forget the Passover. So, verse 11, on the 14th day of the second month at twilight, they, they may keep it. They shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall leave none of it until morning, nor break one of its bones. That's important. And John chapter 19, verse 31 through 37, describes, as they're getting prepared for the Passover, Jesus is on the cross. He's dead now. But the Passover is coming. Six o'clock is coming. The, the, the sunset is coming, and that's when the Passover begins. And we need to get these guys off of their crosses. There were three of them, two thieves and Jesus. Remember the story. And so they go to, um, whatever, uh, the Roman guy, um, Pontius Pilate, and say, hey, we've got to get these guys down before, you know, before the Passover. Can we break their bones to speed up the process? Because it was long and painful to die on a cross. And so... He says, yeah, go ahead, break their bones. So they went up there and they broke the bones of the two guys on the left and the right of Jesus. But when they came to Jesus, he was already dead. They pierced him with the sword um, to check his heart. And of course, the sack was full of water and that's why you see water and blood coming out. So they knew he was gone. Um, but they didn't break any of his bones in fulfillment of the prophecy, this prophecy right here. See, the Lamb of God, the Passover Lamb, that these guys, the nation of Israel, would sacrifice year after year after year for thousands of years was pointing them to their Messiah who would come, Jesus. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Not temporarily, not every year, but once for all. 
This is what we've been waiting for. And so when he came, and they came to break the bones, they didn't need to break his bones, and it fulfills his prophecy because that never happened. I mean, it's one of many prophecies that are fulfilled. It's, it's just another accurate prophecy written a thousand year, thousands of years before Christ um, of what the Messiah would look like. And, of course, they broke out, out, of, out of three people. Two of them got their bones broken, but Jesus didn't need his break broken. He was already gone. He had given up his ghost. And so we see a fulfillment here. And so I want you, every year, to keep this ordinance just like I told you to. Don't break the bones of the Lamb. I want you to keep that. They probably asked why. You ever come across something in the Bible and you're like, I don't know, why does he want us to do that? I mean, I mean, really? I don't know, I can't give you an example. I don't want to give you an example, but maybe you've come across something you're reading and you're like, he says to do this, but I don't, I don't really get it. And is that really applicable in 2017? I mean, really, is this kind of old stuff? Maybe we shouldn't. I wonder how many conversations they had at Passover about that. Hand me a leg. We will be careful. Cut it at the joint. Don't break the bone. Well, who cares about breaking the bone? Well, God said, don't break the bone. Why do we do that, Mom? I don't know. He just said. It's a big deal. It's a big deal because if they had somewhere along these thousands of years of actually doing this Passover decided somewhere along the line, let's just get rid of that dumb tradition. I mean, it's a lot easier to break the bone. Or we can take some gimpy lamb off the, you know, we can't sell him in the market anyway. Let's take that broken boned lamb that fell into the in the crevice the other day, and let's use him. It's saving money. God's not into saving money when it comes to his stuff. You know, He's not into that. We've got to be careful about that in our own lives. God's asked us to do some pretty specific things as Christians, how to walk, how to live, how to think. And you may come across those moments where you say, I don't know why we do that. Let me tell you, do it anyway. Because the understanding will come later. They do that in marriage counseling too. You know what? Love your wife, love your husband. In other words, act like you love them. Do loving things for them and your heart will follow. It does. Don't wait for your heart to get to that point where you're warm and fuzzy and decide to go ahead and be nice to him. Well, he's earned it today. I'm going to get That's different. Start loving your husband and your wife, whether they deserve it or not. Be there for them. Be kind to them and your heart will follow. The warm fuzzy comes afterwards. Oftentimes when you go through God's word, that's how it is. I don't know why he wants me to do it, but I'm going to obey because I said, I'm going to come to this book and let it judge me. I'm not going to come to this book and judge it because I become God at that point. But I'm going to let God's word speak to me. And they did. And, and it's neat. <laughs> I get to teach a Bible study like this because these folks heard his word, did exactly what happened. And then when Jesus came and died on the cross, I get to make this connection and say, look how these obedient people made this beautiful story work. I want that said of me. And I hopefully, I assume you guys want that said of you. When you get up to heaven, they said, you did it perfectly. I don't even know what I was doing, God. I just obeyed your word. I know. It worked great. You didn't see it, but there were thousands of people watching you throughout your lives. And they were learning from all those things you were just doing because I told you to do it. And they were amazed and they got saved. You'll see it all when you get there. Obey. Love his word. Trust his word. Trust him. He's so faithful. So they do. Don't break the bones. But the man who is clean and is not on a journey and ceases to keep the Passover, that same person shall be cut off from among his people, because he did not bring the offering of the Lord at its appointed time, that man shall bear his sin. Hmm. There's a time frame here. You need to keep the Passover. 
or your sin's not covered. You bear your sin. There's no covering for this. There's no way to get out of this. You're cut off from your people. I mean, it's a big deal to not keep this. It's the same for Christ. We don't get to show up in heaven and say, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I want to accept Christ as my Lord and Savior. No, that was supposed to be done down here when I wasn't in view. It was supposed to be done by faith, not by sight. It had to be done because you believed me, not because you were forced. It has to be done now. If you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you need to do it. You don't know when you're going to pass away. You don't know when you're going to move on. Um, and it needs to be done beforehand. Because as of now, if you, don't receive, if you don't believe God at his word, if you don't believe the ordinances, you don't believe the setup that he's got through Christ at the cross, then you bear your sins right now. They're on you. And sentencing is going to come. It's a fact. And if the stranger dwells among you, and would keep the Lord's Passover. He must do so according to the rite of the Passover and according to its ceremony. You shall have one ordinance, both for the stranger and for the native of the land. In other words, this goes beyond Israel. It's also to the Gentiles. That's where we are. Now we move on to the cloud and the fire. This is the pillar of smoke and the pillar of fire that would lead the children of Israel. And he describes this. This is how they walk through the desert all the way to the wilderness. How do we, how do we know where to go? Just follow me pretty good guy to follow. Huge smoke and fire, easy to see. Now on the day that the tabernacle was raised up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony, from evening until morning it was above the tabernacle like the appearance of fire. So it was always. The cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. Whenever the fire was taken up from above the tabernacle, after the children of Israel would journey, and in the place where the cloud settled, there the children of Israel would pitch their tents. At the command of the Lord, the children of Israel would journey. And at the command of the Lord, they would camp. As long as the cloud stayed above the tabernacle, they remained encamped. Even when the cloud continued long, many days above the tabernacle, the children of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not journey. So it was, when the cloud was above the tabernacle, a few days According to the command of the Lord, they would remain encamped. And according to the command of the Lord, uh, they would journey. Now, he is going to emphasize this over the next several verses. It didn't matter how long or how short, they did what he told them to do. So it's been like, and he's going to describe it here, a day, a month, a week, a year even, we don't move until God moves. We don't go until God goes. We don't do anything. And when he stops, even if it was for two days, he says, that's, that's kind of a deal. You, you know they packed up the tabernacle, wrapped it all up, and had specific things they had to do, carry it and camp and move. Sometimes, and I don't know if you've ever seen a traffic jam before. You get excited in L.A. when you get to take your foot off the brake for the first time in like 30 minutes, and you get to travel 15 feet. Ugh. It's a relief almost. It's like, I just moved. This is great. You got millions of people. Okay, we're leaving tomorrow. The, the, things, the, the cloud's moving. God's moving on. So they pack up the tabernacle. They get everybody packed up. They begin to journey. And then he stops. And they set it up again. I don't know how far they got. But it was okay. Now that is frustrating. Because as excited as I am to move 15 feet in L.A., I wanted to get home. I want to get there. You know, I have the hardest time sitting still. 
and I don't know why God picked me for this job then. Because I don't like sitting still. I want to move forward. I want to move forward whether God's with me or not sometimes. Now, I don't. I've tried that in the past, and it hasn't worked. He's taught me. Sit still. It's a lot easier if you just wait for me. Now, you can go out there and run around all you want. Get busy, busy, busy all you want, but I ain't doing nothing until I'm ready to do it. And I've done that before. And I've run around with my head cut off, and I've manipulated, and I've managed, and I've thought, and I've gathered Scripture that I think fit my priorities and my plan. And nothing happens. And then all of a sudden, after I forgot about my plans and all those things, I thought God spoke to me, and I'm sitting there going, I'm just going to sit here because I don't know. I'm almost pouting sometimes. I've been confessing this morning. All of a sudden, it just happens. Everything I tried to make happen, every try to kick the doors down and try to make things happen, you know, all of a sudden, it just happens. That was a lot easier. It didn't happen a day sooner than when God wanted it to happen. God ordains our starts, and he ordains our stops. I have to remember that. The stop doesn't mean that God stopped guiding me. It just means he's not ready to move forward yet, and I need to wait on him, you know? I don't know who that speaks to this morning, hopefully all of us. But when he says that patience has its perfect work, boy, he means it, doesn't he? Patience isn't like chomping at the bit, kicking and screaming and hollering and yelling. It's, it's, when, you're, it's when you're content, waiting. That's what patience is. It's like, oh. It's like, well, I don't know. There's a lot of, there's a lot of it's likes, but it's just waiting on God. And then when he's ready to move, be ready to move with him. And it may be a step or two is all. Or you may need to run to catch up. But he's that way sometimes, you know. In other words, this is great to know. This is great to learn this morning. But tomorrow or even tonight, you've got to do it. Whatever you're chomping at the bit for and you can't figure out why God's not moving forward on, I imagine he's saying to you, I'm not ready yet. And maybe some of you can't find God and can't see where he is anymore because he's moved on a long time ago and you need to catch up. Could be that too. I don't know which it is. But I want you to see how Moses, remember, these guys are writing on rocks or some kind of parchment that's pretty rare. I don't know what they're using at this time. I don't know what Moses used to write this down. But they made things compact they were concise when it came to talking about these things. We don't get the day-to-day. We get, this is the overview, except on something like this. Moses takes the time to write who knows how long or how much of the scroll was written on to say all this. After he's already told us, when he stops, he stops. When he starts, he starts. And we did what he told us to do. So it was, verse 21, when the cloud remained only from evening until morning, when the cloud was taken up in the morning, then they would begin, then they would journey whether by day or by night. Whether the cloud was taken up, they would journey. Or whenever the cloud was taken up, they would journey. Whether it was two days, a month, or a year, and the cloud remained above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would remain encamped and not journey. But when it was taken up, they would journey. At the command of the Lord, they remained encamped. And at the command of the Lord, they journeyed. And they kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses. Who wants us to get that, you know? We move at the command of God. It means we're in an army. It means we're obedient soldiers. It means we're called to be his servants. We move at the command of God. We stop at the command of God. 
Anybody that's been in the military and ever done any kind of training like that in, for warfare, you know how important this signal is. The signal means stop. There's a whole other bunch of hand signals that they use and all that, but this is the most important probably because this means we've got to stop because we see something. Something's wrong. Point man sees something. Stop. Everybody stops. We all wait. We don't know what we're stopped for. We don't care. <laughs> we don't want to get shot, so we stand still. And we sit still, really, don't even move. And you sit still at that command. And then everything's all clear. Okay, there's nothing, keep walking or whatever. Or we're going to stay here for a while. We're going to set up whatever. Those stops are so important. I don't know why God stops us. I don't know why it can't just be a constant motion or a constant moving forward. I like that. But he's moving in a lot of different areas and a lot of different people's lives. My flat tire could have a purpose so that I'm not there too soon. I don't know. Or that so I run into somebody else along the way who wants to help, who needs to, you know, hey, I just thought I'd stop and help. I remember being in the same situation and no one helped me and I just thought I'd stop here and help. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate you doing that. What's your name? My name's Bob. Who knows what's going to happen then? My stops, my God-ordained stops, I should say, are important, and so are yours. Now, chapter 10, we can get it. <laughs> we'll go out faster, I promise. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Make two silver trumpets for yourselves, and you shall make them of hammered work, and you shall use them for calling the congregation and for directing the movements of the camps. When they blow both of them, all the congregation shall gather before you at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. But if they blow one, then the leaders and the heads of the division shall gather to you. When they sound the advance, the camps shall lie. The camps that lie on the east side uh, shall then begin their journey. And when you when you sound the advance the second time, then the camp lies on the south side. And so they use these two trumpets to send off the signal. Here's what you're going to do. Uh, first thing is for gathering together. We play both of them. Probably different pitch. Maybe they, it was a harmonic sound. Like have you ever heard a car that has one horn versus a, a dual horn system? It's Maybe you haven't. I have. I've worked at uh, Boyle's before it was Myers Auto, and I knew a guy that absolutely rejected his car because we ordered one in for him with dual horns, and it had one. And it did. It sounded like a honking goose. Like, I'm like, it sounds like a Subaru or something. Sorry if you drive a Subaru. But it didn't sound, like a, didn't sound like a Chevy truck at all. And then you get the dual horn. It has this great sound. You know, people get out of your way. This is probably the idea. Two silver trumpets, two different uh, tones. So you blow them both. You can hear that. You know, it's for one purpose. You hear one honk. That's for the leaders only. The advance. If we're going to move, you're going to get that, sun, that, that, you know, that trumpet sound. And we know first one, second one, third one. They go through the whole list. Here's how we're going to camp and undo it. And they describe all that. The second or the third thing they use it for, gathering people together, calling the leaders or the congregation for a meeting. Also for going to war in verse 9. Um, we're going to use this for going to war. These are the same trumpets um, for going to war. Um, and then also, whenever you do your feasts or your offerings, I want you to blow these trumpets. So there's a lot of purposes for these things. Um, there is some symbolism here that we're not sure about. Two silver trumpets. Some say that it's the first and second coming of Christ. Silver, the medal of redemption, and so on. But I, we don't know. We really, it could just be a couple horns, too. You know, we don't know. Um, but they use them for different things. And so, verse 11, Now it came to pass on the 20th day of the second month in the second year that the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle of the testimony, and the children of Israel set out from the wilderness 
of Sinai on their journeys. When the clouds settled down in the wilderness of Paran, so they started out for the first time according to the command of the Lord uh, by the hand of Moses. And then he describes who went first, second, third, fourth, fifth, and we're going to skip all that. Here's the thing. We just discussed what the silver trumpets were for. Verse 11 shows us that they obeyed the silver trumpets. Just a great example of what we're talking about. Yes, yes, yes. Got it, got it, got it. Memorized, understood. There's the silver trumpet. Now we got to do what he asked us to do. What, was, what were we supposed to do when they both sounded? You know, they actually apply these things to their lives, and so should we. Now, we get all the way through to verse uh, 29. Now, Moses said to uh, Hobab, uh, Hobab uh, the son of Ruel, the Midianite, this is his father-in-law, Moses' father-in-law. Remember, he found his wife from, um, he was out there after he got kicked out of Egypt. Um, this is his father-in-law who stuck with him for a while, but he's, you know, he's not an Israelite, and he's kind of back on his own turf. Um, this is my home ground. This is where I found you, Moses. You know, this is where, you know, you, all, those, that, all the stories came from. And he says with this, we are, we are setting out for a place of which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us and uh, we will treat you, um, I'm sorry, we will treat you well. For the Lord has promised good things to Israel. And he said to him, I will not go, but I will depart to my own land and to my relatives. So he's going to break loose from these guys. He's going to say, yeah, no, it's been, it's been a good run. Um, glad to meet you, Moses. Visit sometime. Um, but you take my daughter and go ahead, and, and we're going to go back to our home, what we're used to. We're going back to, you know, that mountain that we came from. So Moses said, please do not leave. And as much as you know how we are to camp in the wilderness, and you can be our eyes, and it shall be. If you go with us, indeed, it shall be that whatever good the Lord will do to us, the same we will do to you. He changes his mind. It says so anyway. So they departed from the mountain of the Lord on a journey of three days, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them for the three days' journey to search out a resting place for them. And the cloud of the Lord was above them by, by day when they went out from the camp. And so it was whenever the ark set out uh, that Moses said, Rise up, O Lord, let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. And when it rested, he said, Return, O Lord, to the many thousands of Israel. Either way, God, whatever you're doing, whether you're moving or whether you're stopping, um, your will be done, basically. And so it's kind of neat. His father-in-law says, all right, I'll hang out. I'll keep going with you. And you know what? He gets some good advice from his father-in-law. And uh, it's a good thing he stuck around to help. Um, and uh, sometimes father-in-laws can be a blessing. <laughs> I say that because sometimes father-in-laws aren't a blessing, you know. And uh, so if you're a father-in-law, be a blessing. All right, let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. Thank you for these two chapters, uh, chapters we wouldn't normally read in our quiet time. But God, there's, a, there's so much there. Um, Lord, we've learned a lot that you want to lead us, that you want to guide us, that you haven't necessarily given us all the answers in your word, that you want us to actually seek you in prayer uh, as to how to apply certain things you've said in your word. And uh, you're faithful to answer us, and we thank you for that. So God, some of the things maybe came to our mind during this Bible study, things that we were just going to do on our own, we want to stop now and ask you, God, what do you want us to do? What is my next step? What is our next step? Um, should I buy a house? Should I not buy a house? Should I move? Should I not move? Should I change jobs? Should I not change jobs? God, there's a lot of circumstances, there's a lot of weighing out the good and the bad and uh, making an informed decision, but the only information we really need is what do you want us to do? We're your servants. Um, 
if you're still resting upon the place uh, or just where we are in our life right now, we don't want to move without you. We don't want to ask you to pick up and follow us. But God, if you are moving, we want to be moving. We don't want to be so entangled with this world that we can't move when you move. We want to be portable, Father. Uh, So God, would you give us wisdom in all these areas? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.